again, church. Uh, like I said earlier, my name is James McKinney. I serve as the minister to adults here. And I realize after doing announcements for as, and I keep getting welcome back for some reason with a joke like the mullet, but it keeps happening. Um, I realize that all you know about me is that I'm the minister to adults here. So I thought I would, since I'm bringing God's word to you, I thought I would share a little bit about my family. Uh, behind me is a picture of us that we just went on the UK Miss Student Choir mission trip uh, with my bride of 23 years, Melissa. My daughter, Haley, who was leading worship right here, uh, she was on the trip, and she goes to college in 19 days, but I want to talk about it, so I'm going to move on. Um, my son, who will be a sophomore here at Prestonwood Christian Academy, and we've been at Prestonwood for four years, uh, a little over four years now, and it has been one of the greatest blessings of my life, not just me personally with my relationship with who Jesus is, but also, too, just as a family, all the ways that Prestonwood has blessed us as a family um, and I am just so grateful to Pastor Graham and Pastor Connor for allowing me the opportunity to unpack God's Word with you this morning. Um, I love God's Word. I love talking about God's Word over coffee. I love getting into God's Word first thing in the morning. I love talking about God's Word when it comes to marriages that are challenged and also helping bring God's Word into uh, families that are just have some disruption or some obstacles. I love God's Word. So to be able to sit today and stand today and, and share God's word with you is an absolute privilege and I'm so grateful for it. Now while my, I may be grateful and excited for the opportunity, my kids are a little bit nervous because I am an open book. I'm a transparent. If you've been to my midweek classes, I talk about some of the fumblings that I've had in my parenting and I bring them to the table because as we process it through God's word. And so just last night they were like, okay dad, what stories about us are you going to share? And, uh, and I said, none. And I mean it, kids, there's no story, so you can rest easy. Um, so it's going to be as dry as can possibly be. I'm not going to share anything about myself whatsoever. So let's go into, actually, there's one story about potty training I want to talk about real quick. It's going to be hilarious. Just kidding. We're not going there. So let's go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, as we continue on in the parables of Jesus in the series that we've been covering. And I love the parables. So again, Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. I love the parables. Because as a dad, I love storytelling. I love illustrations. I love metaphors. Um, I love to tell stories as I bestow my wisdom to my kids, and they receive it gladly through story. I love everything about it. But what I realized through my parenting journey is that my stories aren't timeless. My stories don't always resonate. My stories can fall flat sometimes or just not make sense whatsoever. And, I didn't, and when the kids are younger, like before eight, I mean, you're, like, you're a sage. It doesn't matter what you say. Your kid's like, oh, that's so good. I didn't think of that. Then around eight to ten, they start hearing what it is you have to say, and they're like, okay, you're still dad, so I'll listen to you. Then that preteen black hole of life begins. And all of a sudden, you know nothing, and they're just like, uh, I'm not quite sure about that. I started processing as I was preparing for this, some of the phrases that I have said in my parenting, and then in turn started processing the phrases I heard in my upbringing. In fact, you might recognize this one, so go ahead and complete it. Close the door. What were you born in a? What does that even mean? Like, I, like granted, I'm from Southern California, weren't a lot of barns, so I didn't have a lot of context. But I remember panicking when I heard it. Now I'm in North Texas, I've seen lots of barns. I rarely see this door left open. I've never seen a barn that's air conditioning letting cold air out. Like, I just don't understand the illustration of what it means. And then I started probably remembering, like, okay, wait, like, my dad's asking me, what are you born about? Like, you were there when I was born. Like, 
What is it? Like, why are you asking me that question? And then I started thinking to myself to play this out, illustration out even more. Like, is the teaching mean that if you were born in a barn, you have all rights and privileges to leave every door open and no one's going to question it? Your front door, back door, refrigerator door, car door, and no one's going to be like, what are you doing? Oh, he's born in a barn. He can leave that door open. Like, well, I don't understand what that illustration has anything to do with anything. But that's the reality of us as humans. Sometimes it just falls flat. The parables of Jesus never fall flat. The parables of Jesus are timeless. The parables of Jesus are so multi-layered that we continue to come into the parables for as long as you are breathing and walking with Jesus, the parables of Jesus are going to reveal something new to you because he's the son of God. He understands how creation works. He understands how you and I were built. He understands how sin has broken us. So all of his teachings continue to, to teach us and guide us in how it is that we're to relate to each other as well as to our relationship with God himself. And so I love the parables, and I am so excited to unpack our parables today. But parables, as we talk about this idea of the richness of them, I, begin to, I, I often say there, there's a treasure that's embedded within the parable. And if there's anything in an adventure movie like uh, National Treasure or Indiana Jones has taught us is that a treasure is contained within a box and within a packaging of some sort, maybe a treasure chest, and there has to be a key to unlock it. And so today we're going to talk about three keys to unlocking this parable and to get the riches that they're in there. And as I say key, there might be some images that are coming to mind. Maybe it's an old skeleton key that's coming to mind that you think of when you think of these, these old mysteries. Or maybe it's a, a key that's awarded to people for some level of achievement. Um, great album, by the way, but I don't want to talk about it. Um, like incredible, oh, really good album, just for the record. Taylor's new album, go get it. But maybe it's, maybe it's a key you're picturing of. Or maybe for someone like myself who grew up minutes from Disneyland, you think of that dog in Pirates of the Caribbean that's holding the keys in his mouth away from the prisoners. And for me, the reason I have Johnny Depp up here as a sidebar, because that's just what I do sometimes, is uh, when, we want, when Disney wanted to put Johnny's likeness in the attraction, part of the contract was that he wanted the dog and the keys. Again, celebrities are weird, but it was just one of those things. I got celebrity conversations for days on that. But nevertheless, now that I have key in your head, the keys unlock something of value, whether it's symbolic value or real value. And when it comes to parables, we're going to tackle three keys that this parable reveals to us of real value. So hopefully by now, as we've teed this up, you've made your way to Luke 14, specifically verse 15. And to quote our great pastor, if you're there, say, I got it. Let's try that again. If you're there, say, I got it. There we go. All right. Verse 15. When one of those who reclined at a table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. Now before we continue on and unpack these three keys, I want to be vulnerable with you 
about an affection for something that I have that makes most people very uneasy. I love timeshare presentations. Love them. Absolutely. I heard some groaning automatically. I love them. Yes, I love the three days, two nights, and the, the buffets and the shows and all the things for $99. Like, I love every bit about that, but I actually love the presentation. I love knowing that I'm going to watch a video that's going to explain to me how my, my family memories will never be the same unless I buy this timeshare. I'm a horrible dad if I don't partake in this timeshare and, and build up all the dreams of my kids. Like, I love hearing the buildup and the journey of it, especially when that young salesperson walks in. Because it's always the young one, the new one. The one who's full of hope who hasn't been crushed so many times. They come in, I see that smile on their face, like they think it's a slam dunk for sure thing. And that begins the three to four hour journey of just how low can I get that price with no intention of buying. I love every bit about it. My wife hates it. Every bit about it, she hates it. Now, my journey, my tolerance is really three to four hours. And again, it's a real three to four hours. It's a blast. I love it. At least six people get escalated. It's incredible. Now, if you think that's like grotesque, um, my dad will walk into it. If you're, anyone here is in auto sales, he'll walk into a car showroom and immediately turns into Moses. And whatever salesman comes up, he's going on a 40-year journey with him. He's going he's to walk out of that with a brand new car with $1.50 and a Chick-fil-A gift card. I'm telling you, it is amazing to watch. But it's about the journey. And most people don't like that process because they want the bottom line. So they sit anxiously in these meetings, in these, con these conversations, because they just want to know, what is it going to cost me? What is the bottom line to this? Well, I know many are not like me, that we love the journey. So I'm going to give you the bottom line of this parable right up front. Because I want you to rest easy the rest of this as we just unpack the richness of it. The first key and the bottom line of this parable, the key lesson, is that God desires all to be saved and his house will be filled. This is what the parable is about. It's about seeing people come into salvation and fellowship with God and participating with all that he's done. Within this parable, we see a man hosting a banquet, and many are invited. And then we see at the time that the feast is ready, those who accepted the invitation chose not to arrive. Now, this might seem rude in our context, but I want to unpack what banquets and feasts were in this time, when, this, when Jesus first taught this. See, banquets and feasts were a big social to-do. If you were to receive an invitation, you adjusted a lot of things to make it happen. See, right now and today, if my wife and I come up and say, hey, we'd love to have you over for dinner, well, what's going to happen? We're going to take out our phones, we're going to open up our calendar, you're going to go to your calendar, and because it's only a few days away, there's a chance that something's on your calendar already. And we're going to go back and forth for 10 minutes and finally schedule something four months out because that's what our calendars look like. That's not what this was. To receive an invitation to a banquet or feast was such a big deal that, in fact, it wasn't even time that was scheduled. It was day. Hey, I want to have you over for a banquet or feast this Saturday. The day is all you got. But it was such a big deal that the expectation culturally was you reserve yourself for the whole day, waiting until the feast was ready. The whole day. It was that big of a deal. To set aside everything, and even more so is that if you had something, you arranged it so that you could partake in the banquet and the feast because it was a big deal. Again, we may read this and just think rude, but it's so much bigger than that. So much bigger than that. And in fact, when the servant goes out, because again, it's about the day, and when the feast is ready, the host sends a servant out, and we see it in verse 17, and says the feast is ready to those who are invited, and usually that's when they attend, but we see people and their response. And we see three different responses. The first one 
we see that they just bought land. And so they asked to be excused. Well, back then, real estate transactions were incredibly long. And in fact, because it was land, I guarantee you this, this guy walked the land, held the land, maybe even worked part of the land, saw the boundaries of the land, understood who their neighbors were, really assessed, is this the land I want to buy? So the idea that I need to see the land, he saw the land. He just didn't want to show up to the banquet or feast. The second one we see is this man who has a yoke of oxen. Now, yoke of oxen isn't a term we use often, but a yoke is two. In fact, there's an image up here of what a yoke is. So really, it's ten oxen that this guy is speaking of. And so this ten oxen, the same situation. He saw the oxen. He, he touched the oxen. He inspected the oxen to make sure that they were healthy. He didn't want to buy diseased oxen. This was just an excuse and a horrible excuse at that to not show up. The third guy blames his wife. I kind of get it. No, just kidding. No, we're not going to blame our wife for it. He knew the day. He set aside the entire day for it. He just didn't want to show up. But did the host just pack it all up, put it in Tupperware and say, shucks, there goes my chance? No. His table was going to be filled. He prepared the meal. He prepared the feast. And a feast was going to be had. But that brings us to a truth amidst the lesson. And that key truth is that not all will seize the opportunity to accept God's invitation. See, if you haven't made the connection yet, the man is God. And the feast and the banquet is salvation. But here's the part where we kind of minimize what that means. It's not just the salvation illustration of just you're saved and you're done, but it's about the fellowship and the work that's been set for us to participate in. It's about partnering with God and all that he has in place for us. And some people won't accept the invitation. Now, that's the invitation of salvation, but that's also the invitation for, for partnership, for fellowship, to participate in the work that God has. We see two responses to when it comes time to actually show up to the feast or banquet for the invitation we've expected. The first batch, which we've already talked about, made a bunch of excuses to not be there. They just chose not to show up. They had other things that were more pressing. The second batch of invites, they accepted the invitation without any notice because they immediately recognized what their current position was and how much better it would be for them to take and respond to the invitation with no notice. They understood where they stood. The first batch of invites, again, as Jesus is teaching this, He's speaking to people that at the time, the first batch of invites, those were the ones that they hear of that, God, that Jesus was teaching to. They, ex they expected those people to get invites. They were the, socially, the social elite, the wealthy, the worldly, the wise, the culturally presumptuous. They were the ones that got invitations all the time. The hearer, when Jesus was teaching, that made sense to them. The second batch of invites made no sense to them. These were those that they had no framework for. The outcasts, the socially awkward, the crippled, the lame, those that society had deemed less valuable. When Jesus was teaching this, they had no framework for what he was even talking about when it came to that batch of invites. But I want to be clear about this batch of invites. 
What Jesus is not speaking to is a tiered salvation system. Jesus is not teaching that only if these people say no is there a chance for these people. That is antithetical to everything in the gospel. The gospel is for everyone at all times. What Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is for everybody who chooses to follow and consider Jesus their Lord and Savior. It's for everyone. We read the scriptures about the dignity of life and the Imago Dei. Everything about this is for all. This is not about a tiered system. What Jesus is teaching on here is that people are not going to accept the invitation to partner with him in all that he is doing. For those that don't have a relationship with Jesus, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Connor was teaching on the parable of ten virgins. And in that parable, we see five virgins that don't have enough oil in their lamps compared to the five that have enough oil as they're waiting for the bridegroom, which is Christ's return. But those five were shocked when they weren't allowed to enter into eternity because they didn't have, again, per the illustration, enough oil, but symbolically, they didn't have the right pathway to eternity. They hadn't accepted Jesus Christ. They thought by proximity, they were good to go. And unfortunately, when it comes to this idea of an invitation, sometimes we think proximity means the acceptance. I grew up in church. I was raised by Christian parents. Jesus is all I've ever known. Those have nothing to do with understanding who you are in respect to God and why you need the perfect life, the death on the cross, and the resurrection in order to save you. You have to actually accept the invitation. And then when you do accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's then about accepting the partnership that he has with you for the rest of your life. Because being a follower of Christ is not just about accepting salvation, but it's now about bringing the message of salvation to others for the rest of your life. But it's the tension inside of us sometimes that gets in the way. And that brings us to our final key, and that's the key conviction. We talked about the key lesson, the key truth, and now the key conviction. Are my priorities aligned with the priorities of Jesus? I want you to ask that question in your head, just silent to yourself. Are my priorities aligned with the priorities of Jesus? That's a heavy question. And if we're honest with ourselves, including myself, the answer is not always. And for some, the real answer might be not at all. But we have to ask that because it's significant. It's so significant because the feast is of a purpose. It is of a work that God is doing and has already established. But are we the first batch or are we the second batch? Our response determines that. But as we process that key conviction, this particular key within the parable itself has two very significant warnings for all of us. For every single one of us, there are two warnings that we, we have to keep our eyes locked in on because it will trip us up for the rest of our life. That first warning, do not allow the things we create to become more important than the work of our creator. In verses 18 through 20, again, we saw those three individuals and their excuses as to why they didn't want to participate. Their priorities were not aligned with the priorities of Jesus. Their priorities were not salvation. Their priorities were not the building of the kingdom. And today, we still allow things that we create 
to become a distraction for us to participate in the work that God has created for us. Wealth, career, marriage, comfort, kids, the pursuit of our kids' accomplishments and their achievements. All these things can be great. But because of our sinful nature, more times than not, all of these things become a distraction that we are not participating in the work of what God has. See, again, God desires all to be saved. That was the key lesson. His table will be filled. We get the privilege of participating in that, both from a salvation side but from a work side. We get to partner with God for the rest of our lives to bring more people into this relationship. See, again, God sent his son, lived the perfect life that we never could, died a criminal death that we were due, was buried in a tomb, raised three days later to defeat death for all of eternity. But while he was here on earth, before he ascended into heaven permanently, until he comes back again, he gave a very clear command to us. Go and make disciples and teach them what I have told you. That isn't a checkbox. That is ongoing. So if you accept salvation in Jesus Christ and he saves you, go and make disciples is for the rest of your life. That's the work. And as you get into the scriptures and unpack all the things, what you will realize is that until Christ returns, the priority of Christ is the building of the kingdom through his church. That is the priority until he returns. But we allow the things that we create to become a distraction for what God has created us for. And that is warning number one, which brings us to our second warning. Do not miss seeing those that God has placed around us because you're only focused on what's in front of you. I have to pause because there's just a personal conviction just right there in that moment about the idea of missing what's around you because you're so focused on what's in front of you. See, in verses 21 through 24, we see the banquet host sending out the servant because those chose not to be in, not to receive to show up when it was time. And he says, "Go to the city, go to the streets and the lanes of the city." And the servant did and came back and said, "There's still room at the table." The servant did what the master had asked to the letter. But the servant forgot the heart of the master. And that's to get everyone. But the servant also saw what was in front of him. And that was those that the master instructed of the cities the lanes. Again, the lanes were the socially awkward. They were in the city walls. They were those that weren't the social elite. They were the outcasts. But then he comes back and the master says, go to the highways and the hedges. See, the highways and the hedges is outside the city wall. These are the people that can't even come into the city because of disease, because of just how low they are in the value system of the day. These are the people that would never be thought of ever, ever, ever when it came to an invitation for a banquet or a feast. But the heart of the master is, all will be there. And sometimes for us, and I'll speak, I'll, I'll speak for myself, until I came to Prestonwood, I had no vision for special friends ministry. In California, the churches that we came to, like, there wasn't a special friends ministry. So had you asked me then, what does it mean to, to, to go and, and bring the gospel to the people, I would have said a lot of people. A lot of different categories, but it would not have crossed my mind even once for special friends' families. Until I get here to Prestonwood, and we have such a dynamic special friends' ministry, 
And I hear constantly the need for the gospel in special friends ministry because families with special needs have an astronomically high divorce rate because of the tension in there. How hard their normal is compared to all of ours. And now my vision is completely open to all the people that God wants at his table. And I'm so thankful for Prestonwood and our special friends ministry. It is one of the ministries I am most proud of is what we're doing here at Special Friends. But had you asked me before, it wasn't on my radar. And now when it comes to Special Friends prom, I can't volunteer fast enough. I can't, my family can't volunteer fast enough. It is one of the most incredible evenings that we have to, have to give these families a chance to just experience what we would perceive as normal. It means everything because those families are dying to be seen and cared for. In fact, I remember when my kids aged up. I used to be a student, student pastor, but when my kids aged up to where they could participate in youth ministry in California, first my daughter, then my son, I remember telling them, like, I want you to have a ton of fun. I want you to have a blast. I want you to learn about all the things of Jesus. I want you to have a great time with your friends. But I am begging you, if you see someone standing alone on a wall, please invite them into your circle. They're dying. One, they don't want to be there because they don't know anyone. And they'll never come back if they leave the same. They're dying to be known and cared for. Please reach out to them. I have conversations, not just with students. I have conversations with parents as I call and, and families as I call, just follow up how their life group was, how their Sunday visit was. I introduce myself. I always end the conversation with never hesitate to reach out. It is a priority for me to make sure that you and your family are known and cared for. And oftentimes those calls end up in tears. Just to be clear, tears with the wife, not the husband. I just want to be honest about that. But it's real. People are dying to be known and cared for. The world has created so many distractions that so many of us are isolated. And we have no community. And here we are having accepted the invitation to the feast. And all we're seeing is what's in front of us. And not all the people dying around us that are dying to be invited. Again, the feast is salvation and fellowship and participating in the work that God is doing. And we're just not seeing it. As a minister who gets to sit with families and marriages often, I'd like to talk about these two warnings specifically and how they, in a very practical way, so that you can maybe hopefully process how might these warnings uh, be flares that you see in your own life. And I want to start off with another question that I want you to ask yourself. How often are we focused at being at church and raising our kids in church that we miss the entire point of being the church? How often are we focused on being at church and raising our kids in church that we miss the entire point of being the church? Our faith and relationship with Jesus is not a Sunday checkbox. It's not a hurry up, scramble, get out the door so we get to church and come back and get a, get a, get a meal outside. This is a time of encouragement and refreshment so that as we go into the week where our eyes are open to all the ways in which we can minister to people. This should be a time of refreshing, a time of charge. And oftentimes, our focus is getting the kids to church, but getting the kids here isn't what changes their life. It's what they see in the home. It's the modeling Jesus at home. It's the modeling the priorities of Jesus to them. 
And the priorities of Jesus are not their batting average. The priorities of Jesus to Jesus is this. The priorities of Jesus is what is God doing in your life and how is he changing you. Walking with your kids, that is going to change their life. But sometimes we're just so focused on just getting him here. The priority of Christ is to build his kingdom through his church and family. And I mean that. Family, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are my brother and sister. Family, we cannot allow the world to distract us from the priority of our God because our God is the priority. We cannot allow it. We've got to fight for it. It is, it is a real tension that we experience. Even, and it doesn't matter whether you're vocational ministry or not. It is a tension that is real because I'm a sinner. And my heart has the same tension of what is most important to me versus what is most important to God. And we have a real chance, a real opportunity. In two weeks, we're going to go back to that worship center that's going to have more seats so that more people can come here comfortably and hear the gospel and the word of God faithfully preached. The kids' ministry building is expanded so we can have hundreds of more kids come here and be ministered to and cared for. We're going to have more opportunities for students, more opportunities for life groups. We're going to have so much more opportunity. The work has been established and the feast and the table is set. But are our priorities God's priorities? Are we going to jump at it? Well, that same day, like I said in the announcement, that afternoon is our summit. And I implore you, in light of this reality of God's priorities, to make this evening a priority on the 13th. Scan this QR code. Even if you're not serving anywhere, it doesn't matter. This is a chance to become equipped and find your place. Because there are people that are coming here Every Sunday, they have no relationship with Jesus. They have no idea what it means to be plugged in and cared for. And that's what all of our volunteers do. But we need more. God has set the table for us. Is it our priority? And as you scan this, hopefully you are scanning it, you're going to go to your calendar. And there's probably already something on the calendar at 4 p.m. that day because that's just the nature of our calendar. That's the tension. Is it my priority or is it God's priority? For the rest of your life, you are going to wrestle in that tension. It's a tension that we battle all the time. And hopefully you have someone in your life that is speaking truth in you so when you haven't been around for so long, someone's saying, hey, we miss you. What's going on? Maybe we need to shake things up on your schedule so that you can prioritize the things that are important to God. I encourage you, scan the QR code and register I said in the beginning that uh, I gave you the key lesson up front because I wanted you to rest easy in hearing all the riches that come in this parable as we unpack the key truth and the key conviction. Um, But as we transition to a time of invitation, I firmly believe that the hearing and processing of God's word is not for consumption, but it's for transformation and action. It is not just, this is not a live podcast recording in person. This is, this is the word of God being shared, and the Holy Spirit within you is provoking you for some type of response. But sometimes it's the tension that causes us to shut down that response because we don't want the awkward response or the awkward moment. For, for some in here, there are some that, maybe this might be the first time you've even heard about Jesus. Maybe it's the first time you've ever even heard about the idea that it doesn't matter what your past has. 
Jesus lived that life that was perfect, died that death on a cross, and rose again three days later for you, regardless of your past. And this is the table that's been set. The work has been established. You just have to accept the invitation. And after I pray, we're going to have ministers up here that, that you can come talk to about what it means to have that relationship with Jesus. That might be one slice of those who are in this room. There's probably a broader segment in this room where maybe just the idea that our priorities aren't aligned with God's, that we're chasing after all the things worldly and not any of it is kingdom-driven. Maybe the Spirit's stirring within you because, again, the Word of God has been preached and the Spirit, if you are a believer, the Spirit of God is within you and there is a response that is taking place. And maybe that response is you got to change up a lot of things. My wife and I have been married 23 years and we continue to hit control alt delete on the priorities in our life. I can't tell you how many times our kids' calendars have been disrupted because we erase the slate and say we were rebuilding because our priorities have drifted from the priorities of God. Because I will not let the world deprioritize God and His work for what it is that I'm pursuing fleshly. So maybe that's you. But yet you don't know where to get started. And after I pray, there'll be ministers here, and I would encourage you to come forward and talk to ministers like, how do I hit control alt delete? What does it look like to make God's priorities uh, my priorities? I have no framework for that. You're not walking alone. We're in this together. We're in the trenches together. Do not do this alone. Let us help. Or maybe there's another slice of you in this room. As you hear the word of God and you hear the priorities of Jesus and you know that we're going to go back there on the 13th and have an incredible celebration and maybe you haven't been baptized yet. Or maybe you've heard about how we lean so heavy on the scriptural baptism of full immersion and you were baptized as a child and there's, there's just been some tension. Your baptism as a child, whatever form it may be, is not overridden because you are baptized through immersion here. Here at Prestonwood, we want to do what Jesus did and Jesus was baptized through immersion. And so maybe this is your time to respond and say, you know what, I want to do what Jesus did. I want to be baptized. I want to be part of what Prestonwood's doing. And let's celebrate you with everything else on the 13th because you are a part of what God is doing here. If the Spirit is stirring within you, that is the Spirit of God. Do not shut it down. I beg of you. The Word of God is for transformation and action, not for just consumption. There has got to be a response. And so I'm going to pray for you, pray for all of us. And when I say amen, wherever it is you sit, the invitation is yours. Father God, I thank you for all the ways that you continue to forgive me. I thank you for saving me. And I pray for the, the spirit that is stirring in this room, that you would, you would remove any distractions that would allow people to respond honestly and authentically, God. To set aside any concern of what may be, but only a pursuit of who you are be glorified in this response and in this invitation. We surrender this to you in your name. Amen.